Good morning, Ventura. It is a great, great privilege to preach the Word of God for you, and I ask you to open up your Bibles in the book of Acts, chapter 16. What a great joy, and even the Latin word Ventura, right, means fortunate, blessed. It kind of sums up really well how our family feels here since we arrived from Brazil last month. And speaking about that, I assume most of you are familiar with the many struggles we've had trying to get visas for our kids. And it's been a, quite a long journey, actually, for this internship program. But I appreciate your love, your prayers for us throughout this time. And it actually all started when, in 2019, I founded uh, a flyer about Ventura's internship program at PRTS Seminary website. And after praying and talking to my wife, Sabrina, I was like, man, should I email this church for the internship? But yeah, I did, without any ex ex expectations, actually, to receive any responses for Although I am an ordained pastor for three years now in Brazil, it's kind of hard to receive actual training for pastoral ministry. And I've been looking for opportunities like this to be trained for like five years and never got any responses. So I just emailed the church and I entered the website. There he goes. Pastor Timothy, the lead pastor, is off. For his sabbatical time. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Kaiki, let it go again. But all of a sudden, my phone bips. It was Timothy asking for a Zoom meeting. And man, I was kind of nervous. I was shaking all the time. My English is not great. Imagine a year ago. So I had many questions for this. Is the internship pastor for American citizens only? Have you ever received any non-American pastors? Also, is it for current pastors as well or only seminarists? Is it for single people only or what about me? I've been married and I have two kids. So they, he told me, yeah, you would be our second intern ever. And the first ever international intern and non-single person. I was like, okay. <laughs> so my mouth said, whoo, that's awesome. But my heart really was saying, yeah, you're out once again, Kaik. Forget about it. But God made it move forward. Timothy asked for more conversations with David Pollard, my Brazilian now. Brazilian friend, and then the elders, and after some conversations against all odds, he told me, you're approved. We are looking forward to having you and your family coming to Holland. And praise God, finally God did answer our many prayers for an opportunity like this. But it was just the beginning. What about now? It's May 2021, COVID, U.S. travel ban, which Timothy didn't even know about this that people cannot come to America last year because of that. And visa stuff, right? Also, what about lodging? Where am I staying? 
Is my family able to come with me? What about vehicle? How do we move? What about winter? <laughs> How is it like? How bad is it? What about gear, etc.? And I ask all of this thanks to Timothy. And all the time he was like, don't worry. God will provide. God will provide. And then after a few conversations, he told me that a family from Ventura, Dan and Mary Price, were willing to receive us in a studio in their house. Also, another family from Ventura, Mick and Louis Minhais, offered us a vehicle for us to use here. And by the way, Kaiki, many church families are giving winter gear for you guys, so don't worry. And I was like, praise God. Finally, things are moving forward. And it's now just the visas left. That's it. No big deal. So we went to the American consulate in Brazil to apply for the visas. We got denied. We got confused, right? So what's, what's God's working here? All the doors were being opened, but now... But, yeah, anyway, we applied for the second time and, you know, denied again. And I was like, Jesus, what's happening? The third time, I even went to Brazil's capital, Brasilia, which is about 13 hours on a bus, and we got denied again. Questions like, what, what in the world is happening? Where's God? Why that now? Does it mean it's not God's will for us to go? But why not? And if not, amen, but why now? After all, God had clearly operated through Ventura. What about all the money we had used it? And for us, it's much. There's nothing left. Why, God, did it take so long now for you to forbid us? Why not earlier? Does it mean a final no? Should we keep trying? What's the limit? Are we acting stubborn? I just wanted to be trained that I could be a better pastor to God's church. And am I even wrong desiring and looking for this? And I'm sure you all can relate to questions like this in your home life. I'm, I imagine... Paul the Apostle might have felt the same way here, not in terms of the winter, of course, but in terms of life here. What's the scenario? He's about to start his second missionary journey, chapter 16, verses 1 to 5, tells us that Paul and Silas went to Derby and Lystra, and Paul knows the place very well. Acts 14 tells us that in man's sight, it was not a successful trip because he was a stone to death. But his previous efforts for the gospel were certainly not vain. For now, a community of believers were born there. Even a young man called Timothy had stood out from the rest, and people spoke very well of him, as the text says. So Paul started to make plans, actually this Timothy is the intern now in Paul's church. And he is going for the second missionary journey. However, 
things started to get somehow truncated. Not because of man, but because of God. Verse 6 tells us that they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then moving up, verse 7 says they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow this. What's going on? Is God, through the Spirit, forbidden Paul to preach the gospel? Is God frustrating Paul's missionary plans? For some unknown reason to us, but known to God for sure. We were not able to get the visas at that time. Paul was not able to visit Asia that time. But God's ways are sometimes unknown, but... He has better plans, always, right? His ways are higher, better. The question is, are we going to submit to God even when we don't understand? Are we going to trust him? Often when we talk, brothers and sisters, about missions, it's our tendency to talk much about ourselves, what our plans are, What we have been doing in the world, in this church, in this people's lives, mostly we focus on our plans, our strategies, our desires, and we tend to forget that this is God's mission, right? His people, His church, His world, His emphasis, His all. That's why in this morning I am happy to preach on this passage about mission emphasis. If, if you want to follow through, I have a proposition here for you that like to write the sermon or so. So the title is Three Emphasis of Gospel Missions, Spirit, Prayer, and People. And the proposition is something like submission to God the Spirit through the means of prayer, both glorifies God and reaches people in need of Christ. Submission to God the Spirit through prayer glorifies the Lord and reaches people in need of Christ. So what about submission to God the Spirit? When we think about God the Spirit in the Bible, we often tend to think of His work in the New Testament, right? Specific, the book of Acts. But there's so much more, and it starts in the Old Testament. Actually, can you remember the first time God the Spirit is mentioned in Scripture? Hovering over the waters. Yeah, if you thought of Genesis 1, that's correct. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This word hovering is very important for us to understand what the job of the Spirit actually is since the beginning of times. This word is only used two other times in the Old Testament and one passage specifically, Deuteronomy 32.11. It says, like an eagle that stirs up its nest... 
that flutters over its young. You get it? God is describing the work of the Holy Spirit in similar terms as to the eagle's work with its young. And we know that the eagle not only stands on its young to protect them, but also to hatch, to bring them to life. God, the Spirit, is hovering over the face of the waters is a description of how the Spirit is the divine person responsible to powerfully act the creation. That's what the Spirit does. As we sang this morning, the song, Holy Spirit, living breath of God, Holy Spirit from creation's birth, giving life to all that God has made. Show your power once again on earth. We could do it all over the Old Testament, but for the sake of time, let's go straight to the New Testament. Jesus was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the language used by the angel to explain this miraculous work. And the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then Luke chapter 3, we are told that when Jesus was baptized, the voice of the Father was heard from heaven. And that the Holy Spirit came down and lied upon Jesus as a dove. Right? Then right next to Jesus' baptism... We are told that Jesus was then full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Spirit. Which means he had received power from the Holy Spirit to act. Also, it was the Spirit himself in Luke that even led Jesus to the wilderness, right? To be tempted. It was Jesus being led by God the Spirit. A couple of days later, even Jesus talking to his disciples about the task of missions and preaching the gospel, he told them, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through the apostles of Christ are to rely not on themselves for mission, but on the Spirit of God. And then we finally come to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, the disciples, you know, were kind of afraid because Jesus was killed. And what's the consequence for them, right? Then the Lord ordered them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What's the promise of the Father? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Spirit now in the book of Acts is once again hovering over, but not the earth, the church. Not the old creation, but the new creation of God, which is the church. This reality is not new to Paul. 
Paul knows these things. If you come back to me to chapter 13, the book of Acts, specifically, verse number 2 reads that the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You see, it's God, the Spirit, even selecting which kind of people are going to the missions. Nevertheless, brothers and sisters, it's not always easy, as you know, to trust God. Often we forget about these basic truths. And perhaps even after serving the Lord sometime, we tend to think we are the, the ones doing the work and Jesus is just watching us, watching our efforts, right? But the Spirit here in Acts 16 is reminding Paul of the missionary journey. It's not Paul's idea, but the Spirit's. Therefore, it's God's mission, not ours. We are called by the Lord for this. And praise God for this. What a privilege. But God, he is the ultimate planner, manager, executor. His ways are higher. His thoughts are wiser. His power is greater. We have nothing on our own but him. And praise God for this. Still, it was not an easy road for Paul, as you know. While the Spirit has forbidden him to preach in Asia, they moved up on the map, which actually, if you see the map, it means a 400 miles different journey by foot. It's actually, it's like you're trying to go to the Chicago area to preach, but then the Spirit says, no, 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 Chicago, no. I want you to go to Toronto, Canada, walking. That's how it sounded to Paul. But he obeyed, and he was convicted that God wanted him to preach in a different location in Macedonia. He received this vision, verse 9, of a Macedonian man urging for help. And it's interesting that the word here used for urging means to call for a helper, to ask for comfort. And it's the very same word Jesus used to describe the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He is the comforter, right? He is the helper. Paul then was sure the vision came from God and he submitted. Verse 10 says, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel. Actually, they not only obeyed this, they immediately obeyed that. Verse 11 and 12 says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and then from, to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and the Roman colony, and we remained in the city for some days. It shows how eagerly they went to Macedonia, not stopping everywhere else. They were convicted. The Spirit was in charge. Verse 13 says that they couldn't find any synagogue as it was part of missionaries' strategy 
always looking for a synagogue first. Nevertheless, they spoke the word to a few women gathered together. And the text says that while Paul was speaking, verse 14, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's God, the Spirit, working and bringing success to missions. It's God, the Spirit, opening hearts of people and showing their need of Christ. We can't do that. We can't. It's God, the Spirit, opening hearts as we have sang. Breathe new life into my willing soul. Let the presence of the risen Lord come renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. That's the spirit work. However, it doesn't mean they didn't face lots of difficulties. There's this demon-possessed girl bothering Paul to the point he spoke to the demon. It was gone, but what? It led to Paul and Silas going to prison, right? And I'm sure it, if it depended on contemporary missionaries nowadays to choose, what hotel do you want to stay for a night here? They wouldn't pick a prison, right? That's God the Spirit plan. Pastor Timothy and I have been talking about this, even in a prayer time together about how we should depend on the Spirit of God as pastors. He then told me a story of a missionary coming from China, and he was taking through a trip here in America, seeing the churches, the structures, the facilities, and someone very excited asked this missionary, so what do you think of the American church? The missionary responded, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do without the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, we need the Spirit of Jesus, not only for missions, for our lives. Please, Ventura, don't you dare do missions without the Spirit. Don't you dare do your own life without the Spirit. We simply can't. Our first and utmost mission is submission to God. Right? And God is so good that we can trust He's perfect and all-powerful to accomplish His own work. And there's lots of Scripture texts encouraging us on this. John 14 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus says, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance. John 15 says, but when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
John 16 says, And when the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. John 16 also says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. Romans, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Ephesians chapter 3 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And Paul says to this church here, in Philippi, when he writes the letter, Philippians chapter 1, he says, I am sure, I am sure that he who began a good work in you bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But the question now is, how do we know we are submitted to God the Spirit? How do we know? As we have seen, submission to God isn't a, bad, isn't a bad thing. In our society, this word submission is bad. Sounds bad, right? But submission to God is wonderful. Proverbs chapter 3 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then if submission to God means we do not finally trust ourselves, our decisions, our experience, how it looks like a submitted life to God in practical terms. The answer is simple. A praying life. A praying life. There's an outer he says, nothing is well done without prayer for the simple reason that it leaves God out of the account. When I got here in Holland last month or so, Pastor Timothy had ordered some books for the internship reading. And he was the next day leaving for his vacation time with his family. He left me here for two weeks. But he, he, he said to me, all of these books start with this one, a praying life. And I praise God for Timothy's life. I recognize God's wisdom through the whole process, choosing this book to be the first. As you know, moving is never easy, right? Add to that, it's another country, another language. As you have recognized that. Another culture. Add to it, it's both an internship here and the doctoral program at PRTS in Grand Rapids. Add to that my two kids, very intense in Portuguese-speaking kids. The first month, there was just a lot to be adjusted, lots of things to be done, almost overwhelmed. What's the natural sinful tendency on that scenario? 
to turn to be self-centered, trusting yourself, being too busy to God, too busy to pray. That's the environment in which this sermon was born. A reminder to trust God and to submit to God. How? Through prayer. Perhaps you're thinking, okay, I get it. I get it. Praying is important. Yeah. Praying to God's clear direction is super important. But what about now? You're already here. You know that's God's will. So just live. Listen to me very clearly. Having the clear direction from God itself does not guarantee any mission's success. Let me give you an example from the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. You remember God had given the order to the people to spy the land of Canaan, right? The spies came back saying, those giants are living there. They're too strong for us. We cannot overcome them. We'll surely die. God said, you go. I'll be with you. Trust me. They kept complaining, and God punished them for that. Many people were killed by God. Many people. Then some of them said, okay, let's go. Let's go now. And God said, no, if you go now, I won't be with you. Because it's not about only having the clear direction from God. It's about having the right heart. It's about obeying God even when we don't understand. So why praying after receiving God's clear direction even for us? Because what guarantees the success of any mission, any life, it's God's presence. You remember when after lots of rebellion, God told Moses this. You go, Moses. You take this people and I will send my angel. And Moses responded to God, Lord, if you're not coming with us, I won't go. What is this land, this beautiful country, this whole structure without you? I even remember of Martin Luther, the reformer, he was saying, if Christ is not in heaven, I'd rather go to hell if he's not there. Because Christ is all. We have nothing apart from him. So as God's people, brothers and sisters, God is the most important being for us, right? Praying is not only about asking things to God. It's about having communion with God. I can't even imagine some of the disciples, the apostles saying, Jesus, you pray too much. Why do you have to pray too much? You're God. And Jesus perhaps responding, I pray because I love my father and I need my father. I cannot do anything without him. Is it true for you? 
Check Acts 13 again. The Spirit set apart Saul for the work. And they were, verse 2, praying before this. And then God the Spirit revealed his plan to set apart Saul, which is Paul. But then verse 3 says, after having received God's clear direction, what they're doing? Packing? No, they are still fasting and praying. Praying is about having communion with that God. In Acts 16, go back to your main text. Paul arrives in Philippi, and he is not trusting himself there. How do we know that? Verse 12 says, he remained in the city some days. And the word used here for remained is not a common word for just staying. It's an emphatic word, meaning he insisted while staying and waiting. What's in Paul's mind? Let's try to think this. Once he got there, how does Paul interpret the vision? How do we interpret this vision? It's only a man urging for help, and that's it? Could be more. Which city? How do we find this man? Well, I know we have the whole story. We know the story. Paul didn't. And what's left for him? Trust God. Wait on God. Pray, pray, pray. And verse 13 says, they went for a place to pray. Then what's next? Paul spoke to this girl possessed by this evil spirit. They were to prison. And perhaps you say, oh, no, what's happening? Isn't God leading them? Why prison? What's the point? What's going wrong? It's not easy. God is leading us. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. God can do everything without us. But here we see God's response to Paul's prayer is sending him to prison. What does Paul do in prison? He keeps praying. He keeps praying and singing, praying and singing. And it was hard. Second Corinthians chapter 11 says that Paul was severely beaten in Philippi. In Thessalonians, Paul says that he was shamefully treated in Philippi. He prays because he's weak. He prays because he's suffering. He is not praying because he's too strong. He's not in prison praying and singing so that people can see how strong he is. He's praying and singing because he knows how weak he is. Why is Paul singing and praying? Because he knows, as we know from Ephesians 5, that's how God fills us with the Spirit, right? Ephesians 5 says... 
Let's address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with our heart, giving thanks always and for everything. This is how God fills people with the Spirit. I need the Spirit here in the prison. Let's sing and pray. You remember the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when God says, yeah, let's go for the battle now. So the king says, what do we do? And God says, I, I need the choir now. Give me the singers. And I want them in front of the army. What? Would you go without any weapon to defend yourself? Just singing. And this is God. God told them. The battle is mine, trust me. Christian life, Christian missions, whatever, it's not always about making sense. It's about trusting God. It's not about being strong. It's about boasting in our weakness. There's a story that happened in the 13th century. You know the great theologian Thomas Aquinas, right? He was talking to the Pope at the time, and the Pope was kind of busy counting the money. And he was like, yeah, you see, Thomas, I think the church will never have to say, yes, Acts chapter 3, we don't have gold and plate. We don't have money, but we give what we have. We have plenty of this. But then Thomas Aquinas responded, yeah, but you cannot say right now anymore. Get up and walk. Because you have abandoned God. Ventura, do you trust God? Do you trust God ultimately or yourself? Who is winning your battles? Also, what kind of battles are you fighting for? Is it the Lord's or yours? Another author told us in a book, what the church needs today, it's not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more a novel method, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on things. But man, he does not anoint plants, but man and man of prayer. Perhaps you're thinking, why are you emphasizing prayer so much? I'm stretching this because all of you can pray, right? All of us, even kids, can pray. Not all of us are called to the missionary camps. Not all of us are called to be pastors, but all of us are called to pray. All of us can pray. And perhaps you think, okay, but I can't pray. I don't know how to pray. Teach me. You couldn't be more right. I don't know how to pray. You don't know how to pray. That's why Romans chapter 8 says, the Spirit was given for us, and He prays. Inside of us, 
for us and within us, right? We have the Spirit even for this. And as I finish the sermon, I just wanted to address the last point, people. Church, these days we are living and we are affirming more things than people, right? But people matter more. Think about your life, your prayers. Are you praying for what? Things? Projects? Where is people in your prayers? Where is your family? Where is your pastor? Where is your church? We ought to pray for people. See, chapter 16. This guy from Macedonia, he is urging for help. He's not asking. It's urgent. He needs. There's people, real people, bone and flesh, needing Christ now as we are speaking. We see Timothy was called to be the intern of Paul, and his whole life was changed here. Verse 10, the language turns to be plural. I don't know if you noticed that. Verse 10, it said, we went on a trip. It means Luke started to walk with Paul. So what if the Spirit had not forbid Paul to preach in Asia? Luke would not have joined them. And we have the Gospel of Luke, the Acts of the Apostles, because of God's work in Luke. Also, Lydia was rich for Christ. This girl was released from the evil spirit. The jailer, he has no name, but he was reached to Christ. All of a sudden, a new church is born in Philippi because of God, not because of Paul, not because of us. God is the one building the church. And this is such a good news for us. What's happening in the new year? What's happening now? What's happening with Gateway Missions? What's happening with Ventura? We don't know, but we trust God and we'll submit to Him. How? Praying and thinking about people. And before I pray, I just want you, you to think about the song we are going to sing now. I Will Go for by Steve Green. And he says, give me ears to hear your spirit. Give me feet to follow through. Give me hands to touch the hurting and the faith to follow you. And I will go where there are no easy roads. Leave the comforts that I know. I will go and let this journey be my home. Perhaps you're not going, but surely you can pray. So let's pray. Lord Almighty, we thank you this morning for your word. Please, Lord, we want to trust you. We need you. We needed you before. We need you today. And we will need you always. Please, Lord, give us the strength, the faith, and the commitment so that we can be true followers of Christ and reach people in need of Christ 
give us ears to listen to their call. They're urging for help. Let us be the ones praying so that Christ will be manifested to them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read this whole section, and if you would stand with me as we conclude this time together. Think of these words, dependence on the Spirit, and even the song we just heard. You know, you could get distracted by the words because it says, I will go, I will go, I will go, and then all of a sudden you get back on yourself again. But the emphasis is, God, if, if you do this in me, I will. I need you. And whether or not I go far or I'm just placed here in this town, I hope you hear the sermon. I hope, I hope you've pondered what Kaiki was saying and what God was saying through him, that every moment of every day is dependence on God. Every moment of every day is communion on him, with him, to know him and to rejoice in him. So hear these words. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.